This episode of the Hack Inc. podcast is brought to you by Hack Inc. and our sponsors, Stretch Mattresses. You're unique. You don't walk like everyone else, talk like everyone else, buy cereal like everyone else, or sleep like everyone else. So why do you have the same mattress like everyone else, you dummy? With Stretch Mattresses, you never have to worry again. With a once-off payment of €300 Euro monthly, Stretch Mattresses will make you your own unique vertical mattress. They come in all shapes and sizes, from small to medium. Just type in the promo code HackConquersDeath for 10% off our limited edition vertical corkscrew model, which will give you a new posture unique to you. Freemusic.com Hello and welcome to the Hack Inc. podcast. Hack Inc. is... Um, Rhymes with sync. Uh, my name is Gareth Lyons, and I'm joined today by. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, my name is Nan McGillicoon. Okay, that's how you pronounce that then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of letters going on there. Cav, uh, I went out to look for him. He was scratching at the door, but um, I he I don't know where he went. I haven't been able to find him. I put up some posters around the place, and hopefully he'll come back soon. Um, maybe I'll include a reward. I don't know. Um, but today, joining us uh, via Skype on a, on a really cool conference call setup is Niall, uh, what he said earlier on. So... Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, this one's going to be a bit of a, a freestyle episode. We're kind of just going to be winging it. I was going to do an amazing episode about uh, the history of the Irish stereotype, particularly within animation. Um, but then I hit uh, what they would call in uh, the, the famous 2015 film, The Room. They would call it, not The Room, just Room. And having one of her uh, dark days or whatever. Do, I remember, do you remember that one? Uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, I, oh. I know what you're making a reference to. Yeah, you could just get kind of, you know, bummed out and depressed. And I'm sitting here in my pajamas for the whole day and looking out the window. Mm. Uh, the snow is falling all around. We need to clarify um, for a second that you, you haven't, you're not being held captive with a small child. That aspect of it is not. Oh, sorry. I didn't actually make that clear. Okay. Yeah, I do like, not have I a small child. I was worried that, that, that the cab was a child <laughs> and you were, you were Reed Larson Oscar one hour. No. It's more like Cav um, is Brie Larson. Okay. No, I'm, no, I'm not continuing this. Um, <laughs> Who's William H. Macy? I just need to know, please. Oh, okay. Uh, that'll be my girlfriend, Kayla. And she's William H. Macy from Boogie Nights. And she finds uh, her uh, wife uh, in bed with uh, another man and decides to take it out on him on New Year's Day. So, it just takes her own life. <laughs> yeah. It was a strange time in the late 90s when uh, William H. Macy was an incredibly relevant actor. Yeah, he kind of... Um, I mean, at the moment, like... He's in Shameless. I don't think I've seen him in any movies except for Room. No, yeah, and that was a strange kind of way. Because you, you go back and you mm. watch Fargo and you watch anything anything done by Paul Thomas Anderson and his early stuff and William H. Yeah. Spacey is just all over it. Like it's... He's very good, though. He's got this, like... He's, first of all, he's got a, a perfect Coen Brothers face because it just <laughs> looks so, like... Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but he just looks like a drip. Like, you know what I mean? Like a kind of... Uh, Steve Buscemi, except even more kind of pathetic looking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. there's someone kind of um, uncomfortable about Steve Buscemi. You'd be like, that man, yeah. if you met him in an alley, could probably take you on in a weird sort of way. But William Hayes yeah. Macy, it's just kind of pathetic more than uh, exactly. anything else, you know? And he does, he's an amazing actor. I genuinely, I remember him in Mystery Men. Do you remember that movie? I uh, do indeed. Anytime you watch mm. the, the Smash Mouth All-Star music video, you're always reminded of Mystery Men. That's the thing. It, Shrek gets too much, uh, you know, acclaim for that. I know it brought it back into the public eye, but Mystery Men is probably one of the weirdest movies ever. It was based off a comic book. I think it was a Dark Horse comic book, even. And um, but the thing that they have uh, Hank Azaria in there playing mm. a character, Ben Stiller, Kel Mitchell from Keenan and Kel fame, Janine Garofalo, Eddie Izzard, and then Greg Kinnear, all in the same movie together. Only <laughs> William H. Macy. And then even weirder than that, fucking Tom Waits is in it, isn't he? How, how many Oscars did it bring home that year, guys? Oh, God. I mean, too many to count, anyway. Um, definitely got best uh, soundtrack um, for a feature <laughs> film. Um, but yeah, Niall, do you want to explain yourself a bit more? Do you want to explain yourself? So, yeah, who, who are you? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, mate, that's that's a journey. For our I'm, listeners, I'm still I'm still working on. You know, who are, who are any of us really? No, yeah. I'm a I'm a kind of illustrator, animator, uh, background artist person who uh, makes a lot of very silly short films online. But it's trying to make some slightly less silly short films online. Nice. Uh, pure pure mad on animation. Uh, graduated from. A college in Dublin. Nice, uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a wee way back, and just as I've heard, uh, they're uh, they're a pretty litigious. There's a pretty litigious <laughs> little man in there. I've heard. Uh, I only heard this. Yeah, recently. I didn't realize. Anyway, well, look, we can cut any of this out. So, <laughs> but I'm just going to say uh, I heard some information about uh, a podcast that you did at some stage that was asked to be taken down. <laughs> Is this true? Uh, all I'll say is um, uh, a certain lecturer walked into a room and just saw myself and another student with two microphones and a laptop and just stared oh at us, asked no questions, and after about three seconds of silence just went like, oh no, oh no, and yeah. proceeded to say, you will be sued, we will sue. So uh, that was incredible, <laughs> man. He there was no further else. questions asked. There was no, you know, we could have been yeah. doing anything. We could have been, um, you know, building ham radios or something. Who knows? But uh, the mm-hmm. immediate assumption is they're, they're saying something bad because God knows they wouldn't say anything good. So that's uh, the that's the thing. It's like <laughs> it is that weird, like. Um, somebody is doing the legwork in their own head. It's like you've implicated yourself. Yeah, so you are an animator, uh, podcast enthusiast. Well, you're animation creative. That's what I like to call people. Or <laughs> hacks, for want of a better word as well. Yeah, I, th- so, I think the latter would describe me better than the former yeah. in that particular setup. We're all hacks. Um, yeah, because, I mean, um, I guess one, th- one of the things I wanted to bring up today and talk about just a little bit was um, is... Um, actually third level institutes in college because you know we were having some chats about it obviously without like implicating anybody or anything in particular we just wanted to talk about uh the general um state of third level education and our feelings about it well i do so i I, one of the things i wanted to bring up was um yeah, the nature by which you are taught animation, or at least I was taught animation, whereby you're kind of taught to juggle a lot of uh, things and you kind of become a jack of all trades, master of none type thing, which leads to kind of terms of like animation creative or hacks or kind, well, not terms, nobody calls anybody a hack except for me. But um, but I was just thinking about that recently, how there is a kind of generation of animators who are kind of like all-rounders and don't really you know specify in anything in particular Mm. would you agree with that and would you say that that's something that is encouraged by college or is it just something that people are just animation creatives and they are that way well i suppose it's two things really like the main thing you know yourself the technology of it is means that for the first kind of time the past 10 15 years it's the first time people can actually make so many aspects of animation themselves make their own kind of shorts and i feel like that's part of it but another part at least that I've witnessed from hearing different people from different colleges talk about it, is that there seems to be a strange kind of thing among colleges. Like, you know, this course is a one that they gets about. We're not making, you know, drones for the for the animation and studios. You know, we're, 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 mm-hmm. we're making auteurs. You know, everyone's an auteur. And, like, that's a line that I hear them saying in other colleges. They're like, you know, yeah, well, yeah. we're just training people up to be employed, you know. And there's different aspects to that. But what really seems to happen... To like a, a couple of colleges in particular is that they they don't train people up in the relevant softwares or like the yeah. relevant techniques so that they can't say that the college is preparing people for jobs so they fail at that yeah. but yeah, then yeah, also totally. they don't allow their students to have the creative freedoms that uh, that would be implied by saying that you know, we're here yeah. to make you know people explore their artistic vision or whatever that means you know like the way so totally, there's yeah. certain colleges. Uh, that are failing at both, which I think I think there's nothing wrong with a college saying we're just going to make drones for the industry because employment is important, you know, and you can get yeah. other aspects to everything as long as they're upfront about that. But I think if you're going to say then that you're making a college that's you know, about about artiste or whatever, you know, that you yeah, genuinely totally. let your students pursue that, and I think that uh, if you fail at both, then it, it doesn't quite reflect quite well. And I, I just know several institutions that seem to be having issues with that, and I think that that might yeah. be the result of 
of as you're saying, a lot of people coming out and kind of not really specialising in any one thing because they yeah. haven't been provided with the with the guidance or even in some cases the freedom to pursue the thing that they're more particularly interested. Yeah, in. yeah. Not to say that you, because uh, there were, I have heard kind of things that uh, you know third level has been changing in certain ways where it's like, like for example, um, maybe we'll cut this bit out as well, but. <laughs> Uh, it's always it's, this is annoying because like you want to talk about these things and have an open dialogue but then you're always thinking at the back of your head god it's a small country and I hope that like they don't nobody uh, punishes me for these type of thoughts you know <laughs> but uh, but anyway one of, this is true this is what happened there was somebody who I know in my college and they were basically told you know um because it comes down to a bottom line as well, where they're like, oh, we want our graduates to be coming out of here with a certain standard. So if they don't think that the people can achieve that, it's not in their n- in best interest to encourage them to do it, you know? Mm. So there's so many times where my friends, you just, you could see, oh, they're going to be able to make something amazing, but uh, this person just needs to allow them the freedom to do that. But then what would happen is, they would be like, no, no, scrap it, scrap it. You're done. I can't get this done in time. Go, just do something simple, do something. And so they'd be like discouraged from experimenting for that reason, mm. you know? And uh, yeah, exactly. I, I guess I was bringing this into the point of specializing because sometimes they would they would see like something like storyboards, for example, as like a lesser form of something, do you know? Yeah. So they would be like, oh, just do storyboard showcase, just do this. And um, you just kind of see these people who are amazing, but would kind of be, you know, discouraged to the point that they wouldn't be able to proceed with the thing that they'd planned to do. Mm. Uh, but also at the same time, like encouraged to specialize in something without the appropriate guidance. Do you know what I mean? I, I know um, what you mean. I think it's, yeah. I think it's uh, just kind of on a, on a similar note there. I think it's very important that people get, especially in their artistic career, and your college should be a testing ground for totally. that, that you should be comfortable with failure. And I think what happens is is that if someone makes a project that they go hell for leather on and they see it through to completion, and even if it doesn't really work out, they can learn so much from that. Whereas if yeah. the project gets shut down really early, you know, they'll never know what exactly. would have happened. And even if it was a disaster, yeah. you know, by doing by making that disaster, you know more routes to rule out, more more things to do in the future. And that's just mm-hmm. my personal philosophy on it. But I think that getting comfortable with failure is what you learn the most from. And I think yeah. that there's a fear of failure, at least in my experience with, with, with such institutions, that from very, very early on, I think it was just like, don't post anything online. If you don't think it's perfect, don't post it online. You know what kind of way? And I mean, when you're, when you're 18, 19, just starting off really, really drawn, on your post is going to be that good you know like, anyway, like it's just totally. something you have to get comfortable putting up there and seeing it get no likes you know because like, anyway, then yeah. you start to you know it, you need to not be nervous about that you need to not have your mind locked up with ideas that you never really explore because you're afraid that they mightn't work out you know if you get it out there and it mm. fails and it's out of your head you've learned from it and you can move on to someone else and again, I think about it like um, a band as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there are so many bands when you're a teenager and people just kind of go take it for granted. They just go like, oh, you know, obviously they're a bad band. They're like a teenage band. And then you kind of become better. Do you know what I mean? But uh, while you're mm-hmm. in this band, you think that you're going to be fucking massive, you know? <laughs> so like yeah. Yeah, there is a, there is that kind of element to it where, um, God, what was I getting at? Um yeah, you, yeah, like you were saying about, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, that was it. There was this person that I knew and then uh, they were going like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to make a film. I, I, I wish I could make a film, except I just don't have the right microphone yet, do you know? Mm. <laughs> and I was just thinking yeah. like, you know, there is that thing with like bands where it's like there are teenagers, like, like looking into bands like Nirvana or something like that. Like, you know, he probably went through about three or four different incarnations of bands before settling on this thing. But, you know, imagine if, you know, these kind of people hadn't recorded demos on terrible cassette tapes. You know, you mightn't have even discovered kind of like your sound, but also, you know, there's like lo-fi bands as well. So Mm. there's like this kind of experimentation which can result in something good as well, even out of the mistakes. Of Um, course. And but instead, what ends up happening then is you kind of encourage the same type of film, and uh, you know it always seems to be um, 
you know, these uh, there's ones that really annoy me, which are which open with like title cards. Anytime I see a title card and like a kind of you know, like where it feels like it's like Chuck Jonesy, I I immediately dismiss that film because I've I just I don't know, I just don't. I think shorts are kind of for contemplating stuff and being thoughtful and anything with uh, kind of you know. A thing that's just set up for gags, I kind of, I find it very trying. Um, anyway, I think that that's what that encourages then, because there's there's this kind of audience, this fictitious audience that's like, oh, you don't want to do that because the audience will get confused, and uh, what they really mean is like you'll you'll make us look bad, basically. Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, what was really absurd about it too is that, especially from advice in my experience. A lot of people who just don't make films, you know, and they they mm. give advice that you can tell they read on like you know, like you know, one of those books like how to how to write a screenplay or something. There was one of those kind totally. of slogans from it, you know, like show don't tell, you know, and like yeah, that is a very a good principle. One. But like there was things when that was taken to like an extreme length of of literalism. If you get what I mean, mm. like I remember there was a film that basically. Uh, that they, they said the way to show and not tell was by adding sign, sign language instead of narration to it. Wow. And expect the characters to sign language, which like, it's good to have that representation. But mm. in that particular story, uh, there, there was like absolutely no relevance for it. It was just that, no, they actually just sign it rather than having it narrated. It's yeah. technically not show, it's, it's, it's technically showing, not telling, which I thought was the most kind of literal possible way to, mm. to interpret that phrase. You know, just certain examples like that, that I, I just, I feel like th th there's a, there's a certain, I, I, I once heard a particular member of staff once say that they, they were done making films. They would never make films. You know, they, they decided that that wasn't for them. But mm. then every film that came along that they could get near, they were like armchair direct and the living daylight. Yeah, yeah. And just this strange contradiction that, that just, I feel, led to a toxic atmosphere in certain mm. aspects of, 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 like, you should be comfortable with making mistakes and not obsessing with perfection with a student film. You know totally. what I mean? But uh, those are only my thoughts on it. I think that there's a very, um, like this is something we were trying to combat. I mentioned very briefly in the last episode, which was also a very brief episode, where I was talking about going to an NCAD thing and the whole thing like falling apart in front of our eyes and us having to like sit down and uh, talk about it as a group. And uh, mm. I remember talking to like, like fine art people uh, afterwards that weren't particularly plussed about it. But uh, I don't know. I was really blown away. I really liked it. And uh, and um, furthermore, God, what was I get reaching for there? Um, yeah, I guess that uh, I've heard my some of my friends going around as well. And they were saying at one point while we were in college, they were going, um, oh, God, I tell people I'm from the National Film School. I don't uh, say I'm like doing animation, you know. Because they just want the legitimacy of that. Because people, when they hear you do animation, presume, oh, it's just like a bunch of cartoons and you're just doing doodles. But um, mm. so I think that there was kind of this shame about doing that, even though it allows you to do more. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is where I was getting at. Uh, the, the combating thing. We said in the first one that we were kind of trying to combat this this role, this, this idea that comes into certain... Um, animator's head I call it I usually do my Dublin animator voice <laughs> my Dublin old Dublin animator voice um, uh, I'm, I can't think of anything to say like I said it's a dark day so my brain is a bit mushy but, uh, but essentially just these people who have like nostalgia for a time that they didn't even live through do you know what I'm saying mm, like mm. Bluth came and was like uh, in many ways from my research album wanted to be like the reincarnation of Disney and so you can imagine the people who came over with him who had the war stories and everything like that and they were just like these Irish animators like eating that shit up and just buying into it wholesale do you know so there is this kind of like I remember um, in college seeing this uh person who had this amazing film and was more than capable of doing it like every year without help without without fail they managed to get uh, a, sh a short out do you know what i mean mm -hmm. in their unique style and even juggling all of the other uh, things that you have to do in college uh, she was always on top of it um but then what ended up transpiring is you kind of saw this over the year this this uh person just kind of 
basically, uh, I think playing that role where they're like, you know, oh, we need these boards looking tight. We need the animation. We need people to just look at this and immediately get it. The movement there, I'm not sure I'm buying it. I'm not sure this, that, and the other. And and uh, and then the other thing was like, at the, at the most, the darkest hour was make a fucking model out of clay so that you can mm. animate, you can animate that and use that as reference. And I was like, just fundamentally misunderstanding the project and getting like absorbed in the kind of like old school vibe of like, you know, I don't know. You could totally see this person like, oh, I'm posing for a catalog and I have my pictures in here of me directing and putting this out. But ultimately, <laughs> fundamentally, it doesn't serve the film to have any yeah. of that prep work in it. And especially with the time frame that people had to get done. And, and in the end, she didn't get it finished. And it was such a shame because it was a great loss. I really wanted to see that film. And uh, I, I guess this is what I'm trying to say is just that, you know, there is a kind of attitude that is baked into the foundations of uh, third level uh, education, which is kind of uh, going through the American motions as opposed to setting our own tempo a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And also, uh, if I may add as well, there's no kind of um, looking to um, the East, you know, looking to fucking Europe where they've been like, France have been doing like incredible stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, someone and, just to yeah. like chip in really fast on that note. Yeah, that, sure. um, I remember like there was a particular thing going on about Goblan and to anyone on the know, Goblan is like definitely in Europe, if not in the world, one of the best animation colleges out there. I'd say and the you see the films. Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The stuff they put out every year. It's amazing. And um, I remember seeing one particular member of staff, uh, in a situation saying like you know, people were watching the Goblin shorts and they, they were absolutely phenomenal and just saying oh, they have such a house style like you know right now it's a house style <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, I just yeah. wanted to say is the house style quality because that's what it is <laughs> like you know I just wanted to scream yeah, like you yeah. know because uh, again there was there, there barely even was there were so many different I was watching mm. the most recent batch of Goblin shorts and they, they were completely different styles you know and, yeah. and all well rounded you know and it just seemed that, that they weren't trying to copy or imitate and I think they were almost all extremely thoroughly French but you know in, in their own kind of confident way and yeah. I just thought that that kind of cynicism towards mm. you know a, a, a good standard was was a house style was yeah. deeply uncomfortable to, to hear from someone yeah I think the other thing as well is well it's all it's I mean fuck it I'm going to say it I'm, I'm and this is not Niall saying this, this is me but like it's just bitterness just plain straight up like you couldn't like I mean, whatever I won't go and go too far in, down that rabbit hole because it could be there's there's many a time in a pub where you just fucking be <laughs> giving out but uh, the other thing um, is yeah I just remember having like a very I went to over to a thing called uh, Cartoon Springboard so when you're like recent graduates from um, like within three years I think I would highly recommend people do this you can pitch a show at this thing and uh, you know if you get accepted you fly over and you pitch it now I did we paid for the tickets and we had to pay for the accommodation as well but fuck it it was actually a great eye opener to see the landscape of animation over there and um, and I just was like nearly in in tears like back home <laughs> I got in I was like really upset and distraught and it was like it was uh, it was kind of it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to go over there and kind of feel like like this exists, and I had no idea that this was happening. Do you know what I mean? And mm. either nobody uh, thought to tell me because they thought I we weren't good enough, or they didn't think to tell because they didn't fucking know or care. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on over there. Like there's a Hungarian animation scene. There's like, you know, Spanish, Italian, you know, meeting all of these people, each of them speaking like, like the common language is English, but obviously they all have their, whatever their language is when they go there. And um, yeah, it was, it was tough to come back and kind of feel that your, your options are kind of greatly limited again. And you're kind of cut off from this, even though, we are effectively a part of the same union, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I guess what was, what was another thing I was going to say? I think I was getting sidetracked there. I want to talk about like France a little bit. Yeah, I used to be very bitter and jealous of Goblin as well because I just thought like, fuck it, you know? And But they are like up to a really high standard. And I, Yeah, this is it. Another thing that I speculated, do you think as well that uh, the reason that the French are so good is also because they, they have 
like you hear these stories these are complete anecdotal things but like how they emptied the Louvre when like you know the the Germans were bombing it and stuff like that and and like you know um how I like they definitely have second level education in art that is mm. far superior to Ireland. But the other, another story, just an aside, I, I heard an amazing story about uh Sylvian Chomet who did like Belleville Rendezvous and the illusionist. Um, the illusionist, yeah. And then he was hired by um, the making of the illusionist, he was hired by I think universal or something weird like there some studio was essentially trying to set up their own feature film uh division and they saw him and they were like we'll go for him so they gave him a bunch of money to develop the tales of despero and uh apparently that behind that initially jeez mm, i well, don't know kind that. of yeah <laughs> uh this is what ended up happening was that they gave him this money and essentially he uh, was siphoning off a bunch of the money into the illusionist. So he was working under the impression that this was a sole project he was working on. They rented out this like par- premises in, in Paris and he would be up on Despero and then be going down the stairs to work on the illusionist. All right. So when the Americans found out about this, they were fucking livid and they like kicked him off of the project and hired somebody else to finish it off. Now the, t- the movie's like... It's not great, but there are like these handful of moments where you're like, "Ooh, that's nice. I like that." Um, but the uh, the thing the thing that was funny about that though, the, the, just to tie it back in, was that um, he wasn't even like particularly annoyed that he didn't get paid. Like in America, you get booted off a project, they just take your name off it and whatever. Another pair of hands comes in, but he actually took them to court to get them to keep his name mm. on the credits. And uh, just that kind of passion for art and representation. And, you know, uh, there, like it was a French law that ended up winning the case in the end, as is the same with like a, a few other films that, you know, the Americans tried to just, you know, f- fuck over essentially. And um, it's it's just like, I'm, I'm wondering whether that is part of it as well, where like it's, it's not a, a a mark of shame to be an artist in an, in a French household necessarily. You know? mm. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing. Uh, I remember reading someone kind of comparing basically Japan and France both had very similar cultures and how the visual image and visual art was held much higher above within society, like manga mm. and bon destiny were read by adults commonly, you know. And I think in France it's really interesting when you see how alive in France and Belgium the, the, the bon destiny scene is and like yeah. all the different sorts of stuff that's going on there. And again, I don't know where it comes from. I think it's interesting when you read and listen to Tom Moore and the people at Cartoon Saloon talking yeah. about when they're making Secret of Kells, that they were trying to draw on like a, an Irish visual aesthetic and that that was surprisingly hard to find like the reason why the book of chaos plays such a big part was because we don't we have a a phenomenal literary tradition but when it comes to the the visual art like it's 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 not as much there and i I don't know if that is a big part to play on you know because it's like irish society held poets so high but the Mm. the, the visual artists never seemed to be quite there my mum said something that um i can't remember she was basically talking about now, I'm going to be completely butchering this, essentially, but um, she was saying that, um, essentially, that art wasn't taught until, like, fucking the 80s or something, or at least not anything that wasn't just the classics or something. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And uh, it kind of, like, left a generation kind of a, li- a little bit like uh, lacking that kind of creative awareness, let's say, because mm. uh, I was talking about like a lot of things in Ireland, even architecturally speaking, are quite ugly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, I was thinking about how like we're uh, there was a I was I had I dated this American girl when I was like in secondary school, and one of the things she said that they would say to her in 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 high school all the time was, oh, there is like a million Chinese people vying to take your jobs and just this competitive element just bred into them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, and there is a kind of element within China, you know, with like the, uh, was it? They had like the one child policy and all of this, I don't know what I'm getting at. I'm basically trying to say that there's like this kind of emphasis on mathematics, all of this stuff. We need to make quality engineers. We need to get out there. We need to make the money, generate the capital and get people coming over. And the funny thing is then is that you actually kind of like end up having a kind of 
like a very industrial society, but that doesn't have anything that people will actually want to come and see. Like if you think mm. about Dublin, is there anything in Dublin really from the contemporary Dublin besides maybe the spire that people would like come to? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Visually, and, uh, as, yeah. Uh, a very like I, I've known several Americans as well who've like been kind of on a tour in European studies and they come yeah. to Dublin and they just say like, it doesn't really look like it's been there. You know, I can't really no, like you yeah. go to like, even, even Edinburgh. And I know so much that's yeah. to do with imperialism and different things, but like it, it, you see the stone buildings everywhere and they're so kind of built up and there's yeah. so much character to it. And Dublin is just such a kind of flat, yeah. uniform city. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. not a solid reflection on what definitely Irish people can produce. But it's, yeah, and, but, and I think the other part about it is that it's when the parts that are made in opposition to things because I mm. remember going to a museum and one of the things is that they, for Georgian doorways they have a very traditional colour they need to be red or blue so when Ireland got independence they were just like painting the doors green yellow orange Aye. and everything like that which is like amazing and it's a, but it was like said in the th I think that's also a reason why we don't preserve the architecture that's there do you know what I mean mm. there's a kind of like oppositional thing to it but then there's nothing in its place to kind of do something else. So mm. exactly like you were saying with Tom Moore, like talking about the Irish style, it's like, it's amazing how we kind of slept on uh, animation and a kind of car a cartoon style for so long. Yeah, you know it's I mean? really interesting overall. Yeah. And I don't want to go down too much kind of historical yeah. evil gazing, but like, I wonder how much of it is like a, a post-colonial sort of thing as well. Like, yeah. you know, when you think about it, and like, I don't know, I think every Irish person is familiar with they think someone from Ireland is rubbish, you know, until yeah. otherwise told, like until a band makes it big in America or Britain, that's when yeah. most Irish people start paying attention to them uh, yeah. when they're from Ireland. And it's the same with like Irish film too. It's most of the time, mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to hide that it's an Irish film when it's coming out somewhere because it's, it's it could nearly be yeah. a point against it. And I mean, when you see things like the stag and the demo and Ivor movie and stuff, like uh, that's, a, yeah. that's a different kettle of fish. But like, uh, it, it is something that really interests me in how we view ourselves. And mm -hmm. the, the content that we produce, uh, not to be all about hashtag content or anything, but I th think it mm -hmm. is interesting. And as you were saying, and like the repainting of like letterboxes and doors and everything, like I, I think there's a certain level within Irish society that's kind of frozen itself visually that the only yeah. thing that could be Irish and visual is that kind of uh, book of Kells, like old monastic art, and that there's kind of a fear nearly to push it forward, you know, yeah. like uh, that, that that would be somehow diluting it in some weird way. I, and I think that there is like some interesting scenes, particularly in music and stuff, starting to develop in places like Dublin yeah. and Quebec. And I'd, I'd be interested to try and follow through that more, and definitely with the Irish animation industry going here now. But I would love to see, not in a weird way, but just a more confidence and Mm. Irish, like I see so many artists, and not to like put down on them or anything, like from places like Ireland and smaller countries, and so much there is like of a, an American suburbia or something. You know, like something that yeah, kind of that yeah. they don't like. Something that really gets me is when I see people who do art that just like not even like bloody Shano singing or something like that there, but like someone playing a Game Boy in the middle of a field or something like you know that's that's an yeah. awful example, but just like something that you're like ah get you know that was an emotion I yeah, felt yeah. growing up in Ireland. You know, not to rant completely, but I just I, I feel like I wonder if that's a confidence thing, just as a kind of society. Mm -hmm. When you come from a smaller country, is that kind of what? I think I had like a flatmate who, much respect, love this guy. He was amazing, but he was like showing me like this this thing uh, from his home country. And just being like, this is the funniest comedian in, in where, you know, I won't mention where he's from. But then I was like looking at it and going like, this is so stupid and naff and dumb. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm. and you're like nodding along. And then, and then I was suddenly kind of like, that's, that's, you know, you know, anyway, basically I'm trying to say that that impulse is completely incorrect. You know what I mean? Like you don't know anything about other people's culture and combat that whenever you can. But I did wonder how many people have that thought when they look at like, because I was seeing the picture of like fucking Jedward shaking hand with Obama, you know? Mm. And I was like, to anybody else, that wouldn't make any sense. But to me, I'm, I know why Jedward <laughs> would be considered famous here. Yeah, but yeah. It, it is kind of like, oh, they that's what they're like. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but anyway, so I guess, um, yeah, I don't know. I went off on a bit of a tangent there. I think what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, um, I wonder how Ireland is perceived by other people and not in the kind of stereotype sense. I wonder what the, the parts are like, you know, 
oh geez that type of trash could only be made in Ireland you know what I mean <laughs> or something aye, aye. it reminds you of all those kind of I heard that Dylan Moran was very popular in like Russia because yeah, like saw, he's, he's yeah. so many clips of him on YouTube with Dylan Moran talk and it's him on some like you know Estonian yeah. talk show late exactly. night exactly so... and they love him because like oh, because he's just like a scruffy guy who reads a lot of books and who also <laughs> talks about dr- getting drunk all the time and that's what they're kind of, and then you think like I guess like when you boil it down to it he is like quite Russian in many ways do you know what I mean um, <laughs> and you, you just forget those parts of your culture which can kind of correspond with somebody else's do you know mm-hmm. um, but then at the same time like yeah there is a kind of Twitterfication of Irish culture where it's like you know oh bloody spice bags bag of cans be grand do you know what I mean and All like right. the things that can be printed on a tea towel but aren't necessarily part of like the pints of Guinness and like paddy hats with mutton chops do you know mm. um, but yeah it is funny you're like where do, does my culture start and you know the influence from other ones begin do you know mm. or end or whatever do you know what I'm saying um, yeah I, I know exactly what you're saying anyway the in-house style of cartoon saloon um which is kind of, it's, it's kind of um, one of the big shows that I think influenced Ireland in a massive way was Samurai Jack. It's hard to imagine what Irish <laughs> animation would look like without Samurai Jack. Yeah, Samurai you know? Jack. But I think animation yeah. as a whole, merely, like it's, it's just been such an absolute staple of visual design since, you know, like yeah. it's, it's a hell out of the park. And that's, if, if, if you have a way to contact Gennady Tarkovsky, Please, oh please, God, yeah, yeah. please, please let him know that Neil McGillicool approves. Like that's oh my God, I love his. I mean, I'm just in, I and I look up that guy as well. And like similarly, I think he was. He's like comes from a Ukrainian or Russian yeah, background. He, he, he was, was Russian. He, he immigrated yeah. at, uh, at a young age, like about ten or something to the states. Yeah. And then he only did animation as kind of like a supplemental course, essentially. Yeah, he, he only went to a very small college in I think Chicago yeah. or somewhere, and eventually made his way to, to CalArts. But like he was, yeah. he, he was like nearly a mature student by that point. Like he he started off like doing art for advertising or something because his family didn't want him to. You know, he just he just kind of went for it. You know, there's a great yeah. documentary on YouTube you can see about the making Samurai Jack, and it just talks to his life story, and it's it's very inspiring. You know, to hear like the the passion he had for it. You know, to push the yeah. push the medium. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm just looking at another book on my bookshelf. There's something I really wanted to bring up because um, I found it in Charlie Burns in Galway and it's called uh, This Is Ireland and his name is M. Sazek, spelled S-A-S-E-K. But basically, um, so I'm going to read the opening at the top of this from the desktop of uh, Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, a vacation in Paris inspired, uh, oh my God, Miroslav Sazek to create children's travel guides to the big cities of the world. He brought me This Is Paris in 1958 when I was publishing in London, and we soon followed up with This Is London. Both books were enormously successful, and his simple vision grew to include more than a dozen books. Their amusing verse coupled with bright and charming illustrations made for a series unlike any other, and Garner Sazek, as we always called him, the international and popular acclaimed desire, blah, blah, blah. I was thrilled to learn that This Is Ireland would once again find its rightful place on bookshelves, Sasek is no longer with us. Anyway, so on and so forth. <laughs> He's dead. Uh, so, but um, basically it was amazing because he clearly like visited Ireland and then drew like what he was seeing basically, you mm-hmm. know, and, but it's in cartoons and unapologetically illustrative illustration and cartoons, you know, and um, it's such a, a, a funny thing to have where you're just looking at it going like, I don't know. It's just amazing. I, 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 if you have a, your computer open there in front of you, which you probably do, um, you should probably you should just look up Google um, Ireland uh, Sazic, um, and see these drawings because it's so amazing to see Ireland represented in a way that you're very unfamiliar with, especially <laughs> an Ireland of a certain era. Do you know? Mm, so he has one. Sazic is spelled S A S E K. Let me see. Where is this fucking drawing? There's one though in particular where he takes it from O'Connell Bridge and uh, the advertisements of the time, it's like that Nokia ad isn't there, you know? <laughs> and it's just great. Mm, yeah, that's a complete different... Oh, yeah. I, can, I can hardly recognize what Dublin could look like without exactly. that Nokia saying. It's fun. Yeah. Mm. Um, so anyway, that was just an idea, just these thoughts. I mean, I, we're going to try and get into it more on this podcast and I'm looking into the IFI archives at the moment to try and find uh, more examples of Irish cartoons and animation. But uh, 
yeah, it's it's annoying to have to kind of, you know, that, that it only really, because it only really started when Bluth arrived, then this, it kind of, I think it, it, it formed a personality as opposed to a style. And the personality mm-hmm. is very much like any fucking Irish guy who wears a suit and thinks that uh, some fucking guy in New York sees him as his equal. You know, <laughs> you know that type of thing. Like when you're in the biz, when you're working, you know, you have mm-hmm. to know these things and you're like, oh God, shut up. Like I kind of want this podcast to be more of like uh, aiming at uh, third level students and I feel free for any third level students to get in touch and we can try and like organize more directly with the colleges because uh, as we were alluding to earlier on I think the other uh, reason that the talent and the standard isn't kind of getting better or getting to uh, I think you mentioned a, a kind of depressing podcast where Nora Toomey was on it basically saying oh the third level institutes is like well you know there's a few in Ireland and they're trying you know and you just kind of feel like, oh, fuck it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, did, I, I didn't really like that. But, um, you know, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, I think that there could be an effort within the industry and um, um, with, and groups uh, like Animation Skillnet, which I love, to uh, be uh, coordinating directly with uh, all of the colleges in Ireland to try and, um, you know, up that standard a bit and uh, get people thinking differently and more creatively uh, because mm. once you get out there it's a very different atmosphere than it is in college uh, yeah definitely so, I mean I, I know what it is on a, on a college by college basis you know different people run the institutions but having yeah. had the experience I've had in the industry the overall thing when this topic does tend to come up is like different places and studios tend to see like where we're trying to talk with certain colleges and they're just not listening you know like the people yeah. in charge are deliberately ignoring the the, yeah. the going back to the line again that they're saying like you know, we're not churning out people for the industry but then yeah once again not not allowing anyone any artistic development and again yeah. when you talk about institutions of course there's always staff members in these kind of places that are i'm sure i feel for them because they're 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 totally. rallying against something trying to make changes and whoever's properly in charge just doesn't let that happen for whatever better reasons you know yep. i mean that's sticking, it. <laughs> sticking on the thing as you're saying like i think if you're in terms of reaching out to third level students i think that's a deeply important aspect and hopefully we can see in the industry uh, a kind of growing relationship where there isn't yeah. as thick of a divide between when you go to events and stuff between exactly. the students and the industry people you know that there's there's yeah. going to be a bit more of kind of a, a reaching out because I, like, I did find that both as a student and as a longer student there's a, yeah. a kind of a strange divide between that and I think there is power in students knowing things about the industry that right, sometimes sure. maybe professors will try and hide them from and that students yeah. can I mean, develop more confidence and more prepare themselves better for graduation by being in touch with people from the industry mm-hmm. rather than uh, be everything they're being told being exclusively funneled through education staff. Yeah, just to, through this very small uh, window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Um, yeah, cool. I think that's actually a really good point to like uh, wrap up that episode. I think our our segment by basically if you want to get in touch with what we've just talked about there, our email is info at wearehackinc.com. We're also on at wearehackinc on Twitter. So just give us a follow and we'll always follow back and send on some stuff. Um, if you're curious about any aspect of animation or kind of industry-based stuff or even stuff that would be like, you know, uh, making personal films, uh, do get in touch. Sometimes I might, maybe I don't have stuff on my plate and I can help you out. I don't know. Um, so then that, that's basically to wrap up that little section. Here is the news section. I haven't gotten a chance to uh, talk about this yet. So I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, Mark Marin on The Simpsons. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I swear to God, I saw it on my Twitter feed, it came up to a wee clip. And I thought to myself, like, sweet mother of God, this is going to yeah. be... Uh, this is going to be this is going to be the Simpsons in, in 2019. That's what I thought to myself. And I, I, I watched the clip, and it very much was the Simpsons in 2018. And Flair yeah. played a mark, you know, getting on the Simpsons. I'm sure it's a big deal for him. I'm happy yeah. for him. Uh, the 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 writers took every opportunity they could to stand 20 feet away from a joke. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I don't mean. Like, I just. Uh, 
I, I don't know. What more can be said about the state of I modern know. sense? I mean, we all know what's happening. It's just a brand ambassador. It's meant to keep the thing alive. Although I don't know why they'd even bother. Because here's my thought. Um, one time somebody mentioned uh, if they rebooted The Simpsons. Mm. And I was like, they could so fucking easily do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. just... Just cap the series as it is, wait a year and a half, come back with rebooted Simpsons, you'd be rolling in it. Do you know what I mean? People would be like, like people have, like people are not watching that show. I don't know why it continues, but also the budget gets slashed, the more successful it becomes. Okay, okay, now I'm seeing it. Sorry, as soon as I started saying it out loud, I was like, oh, actually they just, since they don't give a shit anymore, it's cheaper Aye. to keep it alive by having it, you know, and on that, life support. Yeah. Like when you see the, 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 the creative power, like uh, you really have to watch some of the first couple of seasons, the episodes to really see how visually important it was. Like the, the, mm. the abstractness of the colors and the craziness that, that claps these yeah. sheeps, you kind of animation style, it's just completely bleached out of it. Like you see it now and every color is tried to be as represented as realistic as possible. And it yeah. just kind of, there's such an uncomfortable atmosphere presented by it that yeah. wasn't at all embraced by the first couple of seasons, you know? And I remember so, the first uh, the first moment I was like, this is, makes me feel uncomfortable and I can't really tell why. It was when they had Tony Blair in it. And you see, like, the way they did his design was like, just so, like all of the designs are like that now where you're like, who are like they actually look <laughs> kind of like the people as opposed to like if you looked up the the drawing they did of Bette Midler where it doesn't mm-hmm. really look like her at all but I mean it does look like her it's it's like a Looney Tunes you know where you see the drawing and you see the little features and you're like oh this this looks solid mm. a solid parody as opposed to isn't it great that we got this person to appear yeah let's um, just put on as many yeah. wrinkles on their face as possible so you can know who they are like it's just the same yeah, as yeah. Gonna, it's it's yeah that's you know that's 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 i think I, I i really couldn't possibly even imagine if, if tomorrow now they said it was cancelled how it'd feel because i feel like a lot of people would in a way feel yeah. sorrowness about it you know like it's 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 nearly like that that strange elderly relative that you kind of checking it on every now and again and go like oh well i'm happy it's still around like fair play for getting mark maron on you know like it's just kind of yeah. you know i think if, even if there was no one to react to it it would be kind of depressing in a way did you ever think like oh jesus there must be scraping the bottom of the bar- barrel if uh, the bottom of the barrel if they're getting mark maron on you know like Aye. a podcast host <laughs> i yeah no just I even like i watched the clip with such fascination like the yeah they're basically just getting crusted the clown on to tell about his phobia of pies and it just oh God uh, like, fuck it, like it, it really felt like the first idea that came to them. Like you know, like it just there, there, there was there was no kind of desperation to tell that joke. You know what I mean? Like I feel like mm. some of the earlier episodes of The Simpsons, there's such a desperation to get some sort of satire, some sort of idea across. Mm. And now you just watch it, and it's just people kind of. I'm sure they're trying. I don't mean to go too hard on folks with the budget and everything. Oh but no, they're well. <laughs> but also the fact that it's become so much of a writer-driven show because you see the early episodes and you get like a lot of those people have gone on to do like amazing stuff. But mm. what I've also seen is that any of the writers who go on to do their own shows don't end up lasting very long and aren't very well liked. You know, mm. it's it just goes to show how much they take for granted the you know the Brad Bird and uh, um, what's his name. It's cool. Anyway, I can't. I just exactly can't even remember their names. I could name you about three or four Simpsons writers. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out the key creative talent. And you know, I'm a fan of the show, so mm. you know, I know when I saw it, but I wouldn't be able to tell you. Such and such as episode from, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, the other one, like on top of that as well, just with the Mark Maron thing, they, that they actually. They, they for some reason are convinced that Dan Castellaneta is an amazing improviser. So they've had that like live episode with Homer, but likewise he sat down and with so on. If you go onto WTF, you can get the podcast for um, Mark Maron. You know, like is in sorry Mark Maron interviewing Krusty the Clown. Yeah. And it's just Dan Castellaneta improvising, and it, it's, it's like I don't know how anybody could listen to it, you know, in all <laughs> fairness. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, many of the things have been written about the fall of the Simpsons, and, and that was another particular moment that just kind of made me think, like, good God, what's going on? Like, you know, yeah. and it amazed me too, because, like, when I was growing up, like, I was a wee bit past the prime of it being on its peak, you know, I just watched the reruns again and again, and, you know, yeah. every now and again, a new episode would come on from about 2004, 2005, and you could tell they were never quite as good, but they were watchable, and then just something 
came along yeah. where you actually cringe at it, you know, like even at yeah. the age of like, you know, 12, 13, just seeing it. In particular, I think there was an episode where Sideshow Bob moved to Italy and had a child with a Come beautiful Italian on. woman. And the child was like, looked just like a tiny Sideshow Bob and it also wanted to kill Bart for oh, some reason. Like, you know, it just kind of, and they were trying to make it nearly like a Minions joke in the episode that like this tiny Sideshow Bob had a thick Italian accent and just kept saying like, kill Bart, kill Bart. And it was just like, you know, it played the gag so many times and then there'd be like a few second pause so that you could like, you know, for the full laugh, to laugh. Get your bearings, you know. Yeah, just get, just get a, Wipe eat, the tears. Get, get, get back up on the seat after like, yeah. laughing. Tape your over, sides you know? back together, you know. Yeah, that kind of gag. And it just kind of was like, ah, oh, lads, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. But that's, I remember my, le- my least favorite one was the one where... Um, I, I was at Marge and Homer start going to like wine tasting and drinking all the wine and then they get into a car accident and uh, well Homer crashes the car and then he pulls Marge into the driver's seat mm. to get her to take the fall and that was how I was like I'm fucking done with this that is the most despicable thing and it's not even oh I hated it I hated it I remember it so an episode much. too that like I remember like getting legitimately mad on an episode where um. I think it was basically supposed to be like a commentary on marijuana, but Grandpa Simpson discovered some sort of medication that basically was supposed to be like, you know, a metaphor for legalizing weed. And Grandpa, okay. like, you know, was re-loving life again. He was sticking it and handing out at the old folks' home. They were just, like, all, like, going from super depressed to having the time of their lives. And Lisa was the one who discovered this plant. And, like, she was the mm. one who actually, like, showed it to Grandpa and he had it. And then just, like, you know, for the third act, you know, conflict or whatever, Lisa just for no reason in particular just decided she was against this and the, okay. the, the episode presumes like no reason why she should be against it they literally showed that the drug had no negative effect and like Lisa's supposed to be like you know the, the cliche like you're yeah. the hippie liberal and for just no reason other than Lisa should be like in contradiction to the episode she was like I don't like you doing this grandpa and he was like enjoying his life much more he was being nice to everyone there was the episode went out of its way to show that there was no downside and then grandpa felt bad because Lisa wasn't into it and he stopped doing yeah. the drug and went back to being depressed and I was just like how do you not God like you don't yeah well, yeah, the, and then there's the Apu episode as well where they like mention the controversy and they give that those words to Lisa as well and when they and stare at the screen for yeah like really awful but it's kind of like you know like that was the more offensive part about it is giving the lines to Lisa to say it's mm. like come on man like yeah they just fundamentally do not understand the characters anymore and also the characters don't fucking work because it's a 30 year old show that doesn't right. like who I mean uh, next item on the agenda Emma Thompson leaving the movie and writing that scathing letter the resignation letter have you heard this? I, I, I have you heard, heard this? this. heard about this? <laughs> Sorry. I have yeah I have heard about it and um, yeah I don't know what the lads skate answer are getting up to over there uh, but um, yeah. it, it's it's hopefully you know we'll get into a situation where the more people fair play to Emma Thompson kind of yeah. will be able to show that this isn't what they're going for you know yeah that's, i mean uh, fair play to her i mean I, but at the same time i was also thinking like if this were a live action movie i'm pretty sure she'd let it slide <laughs> you know she's like like there's so many people who continue to work with brian singer and it's like oh i didn't know and i wasn't sure and how can we be certain and you know uh but like because it's like um you know a kiddie film about i don't know a fucking horseshoe that talks or something it's called lock i don't know what it's about um, that means it's like, mm, no, I, I think I can safely say no to this, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's definitely a strange thing. I, 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 I can't even just imagine what it must be like, like with the, the John Lasser, he's hot property, know, you know, he directed Toy Story, he directed Cars too like you know let's get him in here like we need him you know <laughs> <laughs> lads have you seen cars too michael Keane plays like a james bond yeah. car like you know it's just like this man he's on he's, he's on another level of storytelling and we need him he's got you know? so many more stories to tell he's got so many more <laughs> an inanimate objects which need to talk to other inanimate objects I, okay? I still remember listening to an interview with him around the time cars too came out and he was talking about like when they made cars one and like people were talking like why there's so few at that time anyway there's so few 
few Pixar movies that have sequels like Way Cars and he just said that when he was making Cars 1 that like he, he, he had a dream and he woke up and he just said like there's so much potential in this world like oh, you know there's just man. so many stories to tell <laughs> like even then like before anything had probably come out I was just like do you listen to yourself like you know just like, <laughs> just, like no offense if anyone enjoys Cars I'm not going to take that away from you but just of all the Pixar properties I think that's the one that no, like, you well, know that's the one <laughs> I also I remember seeing Cars and I was like so amped anything that came out from Pixar at that stage I was like ready for um, but then once I saw the car and I was like because first of all it started off and all you saw of the car was the wheels and like a little smile and I was like Ooh, what are they going to do? How are they going to like, you know, the way when you look at Toy Story and like all of the characters, like, you know, there's like, uh, like Mr. Potato Head and all of his features come off and, you know, you got like, uh, I don't know, the squeaky thing that has like a squeaker and stuff. I don't know. Do you know like where, where the, they would find the, the human features in toys? or that they could animate and they would make and then you see a picture of the fucking car and they just say well his eyes are the windshield I guess you know, fucking <laughs> who cares and it's like alright well maybe they'll have a world that's built like exclusively for cars it's like no it's pretty much just a human world except door handles are a little lower you know <laughs> and, like, and it's just there was it was one of the laziest most cynical things ever that was like he basically said like oh I love like toy cars so that's why I'm doing it and I like Route 66 and then the idea for the spy one it's like I don't know I could totally see him just taking his action figures out and slamming them together and being like there's probably something in there you know uh, I'm sure he was sitting in his Hawaiian shirt room watching exactly. that, watching, watching the wee toy train go by yeah. and thinking to himself John you've done him again like you know yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is what you'll be remembered for and but, um, um, yeah no I mean I would be do you think Skydance will keep him on are they going to double down oh or? yeah no they're going to double down and but like I think that they might like reduce his involvement in a day-to-day operations basis but i mean like you know they're just too proud you know somebody making that type of acquisition i don't think they're going to back out of it and i don't think anybody except for i think they'll I, somebody will replace emma thompson and things will just keep going on do you know what i mean so niall do you have anything for whistle while you work that you uh, I do indeed. I'm a ravenous listener to, to the podcast. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. Including this one. Yeah. Very uh, good. <laughs> oh, we have fun. But um, no. What I was going to say is, uh, in particular, recently I've been listening to a lot of movie bodies run by. I don't know if you know what. Uh, I am to Animators Alex Craig and uh, Sean Bentley. I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. Is that movie buddies? Which one's the one that has? Charles Hutner on it. Sorry, Charles Hutner. Sorry, it's kind of a rotating cast. Charles Hutner, yes, he's on oh, movie okay, buddies. Right. And uh, just in particular because they had, um, they would put out a few episodes a year, but they're quite long. They're about two hours each. And recently they've put out like two-part Oscar special, which I just thought was really interesting. And also about a month ago, they put out a really long episode on Darren Aronofsky's mother and oh, just wow. kind of deconstructing that in a really interesting way. So if you're looking for stuff to listen to, I'd recommend those episodes. That's movie bullies. So how about yourself, Gareth? How about me? Um, I'm kind of took, stuck between two now at the moment. Um, I'm going to save one of them for later on. I'll go for this one. I'll go for this one, even though I, I hoped it would be more in keeping with the theme of the, my original theme of, what was it? What was I saying? I was going to call, I was going to talk about Irish stereotypes in animation, particularly like international animation. Uh, so I was going to be referencing a podcast, which I do thoroughly love and enjoy called uh, The Irish Passport, a podcast um, about Irish history and kind of cultural events. Uh, it's presented by Naomi O'Leary, who's a journalist, and uh, Tim McInerney, who I'm, I can't remember what he does right now, but they're both very, uh, you know, friendly voices and very informed, and they give uh, some amazing uh, podcasts um, about, uh, for example, they do one about like the famine and things like that. And uh, they did one about the Senate, which I found particularly uh, informative just because I don't know what the fuck is going on in the Senate or what it's about. Um, just because they talk about the history, the background, who can vote in the Senate, etc. The Irish Senate, of course. Um, and But one of the things that I was going to be referencing, they, th- they talk about the portrayal of um, Irish people within uh, popular culture and media. Um, so they, they had a very good, uh, 
they were talking about Punch Magazine a little bit and um, I was going to crib from that just a bit to to talk about, you know, the portrayal of Irish people. Um, but they... One thing I will say, one mild criticism I will level at them is that sometimes they get too into the diddly eye kind of music. They're, they're, they'll do like segments or pieces and they'll be like NPR, you know? Mm. And uh, they'll just have like this kind of sh- Shano's playing or something like that. And, you know, fucking Celtic. What's the one, what's the fucking thing, the... That hor- that like pipe, the Elon pipes, the Elon pipes playing, yeah, and yeah. Th- that drives me absolutely batty. But they're they're very good, like they 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 hit the nail on the head a lot of the time, and they're very generous. And um, they they did an incredible podcast during the referendum as well, and um, they they get some quite surprisingly good guests. They even had like uh, they managed to get like a brief segment recorded with uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and talking about the Irish border because the, obviously the podcast began after Brexit and it was to try and educate people a little bit more about Ireland and, you know, the history uh, that is there that might create these tensions which people were otherwise not aware of. Um, so, yeah, really good podcast. I thoroughly recommend that. Uh, I spent too much too long explaining it, but I, like I said, it's a dark day, people, and my brain is mush. I thought you got um, it across well, I guess. Thank you very much. Um, and also, uh, you know, I guess a, a public announcement for anybody uh, who has dark days. Uh, one of the... Um, I heard a great podcast. I'll save it for another time. I won't recommend this one. But uh, basically, uh, on this podcast, David O'Doherty said uh, how... You, you read all this stuff on Twitter where people are like, oh, I'm such a useless mess. Oh, God, I just spent the whole day in eating crisps and watching the TV, you know. Um, but then he kind of correctly said, I think that, you know, obviously you can't have too many of those, but to not beat yourself up about shit like that because that happens, you know. And uh, I think that's a real thing that happens in animation is kind of, you know, we're very solitary figures. And uh, I always find when I'm animating, sometimes I'll be like, you know, getting into downer moods and depressed and stuff like that. And I'll feel like I'm not achieving enough. And, you know, I'll have these days where I'm lounging and just be like, fuck it, you idiot. Why aren't you doing more? And uh, I guess my recommendation for people, sometimes you just have to sit in the the mood and let it wash over you and Mm -hmm. also not beat yourself up too much because you just fucking, sometimes you have write off days and that's just it. Uh, without going on up too long, I just think that yeah. this might be a good opportunity to come across something. And I think it's, as you said, particularly animation folks. But that yeah. at college, in certainly particular situations, it's really kind of held up as a high regard. You know how you know someone stayed up eighteen nights in a row exactly. and they got this thing done. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just again, as it's always said, like having a pollinator is not like something to be held up as like hard work but just a result of pair plan and that yeah. like it, it should be taught in schools rather than saying oh you're going to have your back broken by the time you're 10 years in the industry because of poor posture mm-hmm. you're going to have no control of your wrists you're going to you know be staying up night after night after night instead of that just saying hey there's some easy ways to avoid this and just yeah. rather than glorifying these situations to be open about what can happen and how there are very much feasible ways to sort it out. And I also think for yeah. students in particular that anytime you see a, 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 a professor of some kind kind of glorifying that stuff just to keep it in mind that, you know, it's, it's, it's not the way you can always be and you have to take mm-hmm. some time out yourself. It is that. And, and another thing that kind of comes off of that is how the 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 fucking myth the idea of the struggling artist do you know what i mean and how like oh god of course like well struggling artists obviously ways of money which is a way that they fucking shaft out of money in the industry but in college it's a kind of way to make it feel like if you're feeling stressed out and put upon and like you can't get stuff done and you're overwhelmed that it that's oh well that's college that's just how it happens and it's like no not necessarily and yeah. you know aim for uh, better fellas aim for better yeah exactly exactly you know you shouldn't be um, you know passing out or agitated or like you know uh, losing weeks and hours of sleep over shit like this like obviously it's unavoidable sometimes if you're nervous and you want to make a good movie and sometimes all nighters can be cracked but just that exactly as you say don't make it this kind of badge of honor to be uh, suffering and putting yourself at a disadvantage or harming your own health and stuff you know Aye. Yeah. 
Okay, well, that's cool. Uh, where can people find you, Niall? Uh, they can find me uh, at... I'm not going to give away my actual address here, but they can find me at my online platforms. I am at Niall underscore himself, N-I-A-L-L underscore himself on Twitter. And I am MacGwill for Magilla in short on Instagram. That's M-A-C-G-W-I-L. So okay, perfect. Those are the main places I tend to hang out. So, like I say, we are now a real bona fide studio, Hack Inc. So you can find us at www.wearehackinc.com. Um, I'm going to hopefully get some like videos and little clips going up, and fingers crossed you'll see a lot more of us. But if you know of a relative or anybody who needs some animation done, I forgot to keep it to yourself. No, um, but uh, no, send it our way if you aren't inclined to do it yourself. And um, yeah, we're a real studio. We're real. Okay, thank you, everybody. <laughs> All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. So nice to hear from you. It's been a while, it's true. So coming up your stamps, I see. Never even use the last one to send me. What do you do with your dates? Other than write to boys far away You work two jobs and your apartment sucks Your new boyfriend's a lousy fuck Thanks for the tape, the photos swell I guess Chicago's treating you well Start to say